Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to roco snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Snoozecast, the podcast designed to help you fall asleep. Find us on snoozecast.com and follow us on Instagram at snoozecast to find behind the scenes content. If you enjoy our show, please write a review on the podcast app. Also, share us with a friend. Snoozecast is intended to be listened to one episode at a time rather than through continuous play. The episodes get softer as they get to the end, and we don't want you to be woken back up. Most podcast players default to playing continuously, but you can change the setting to only play a single episode at a time fairly easily. Most players also have a sleep timer function you can use. If you'd rather not fiddle with settings, please listen directly through our website, snoozecast.com, where it'll only play one episode at a time. If you have any questions or feedback on this, please contact us through our website and we'll be happy to help. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by Melodramatic Flourishes. Tonight, we'll read the second part to the ninth chapter of Little Women by American author Louisa May Alcott, published in 1868, titled Meg Goes to Vanity Fair. Following the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. The novel details their passage from childhood to womanhood and is loosely based on the author and her sisters. If you'd like to start at the beginning, find the first episode that aired on December 18th, 2019. If you'd like a refresher from the last chapter, it aired on September 7th, 2020. In the previous chapter, Meg stays with the wealthy Moffat family to celebrate Belle Moffat's coming-out party as she was turning 16. The March family, however, is too poor for this sort of party. Meg and her family collect all of her nicest clothing for her, but when Meg gets to the Moffats, 
it soon becomes clear that her nicest clothing is nowhere near nice enough. The Moffats are kind to Meg, but are clearly dismayed by the difference. Meg also is shocked and dismayed to learn that the Moffats think Meg's mother is scheming to marry Meg to her younger neighbor Lori in order to marry her into Lori's wealth. We'll start back up after Meg agreed to let Belle give her a fashionable, posh makeover and present her as a proper young lady at the dance. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Thursday evening, Belle shut herself up with her maid, and between them, they turned Meg into a fine lady. They crimped and curled her hair. They polished her neck and arms with some fragrant powder, touched her lips with coralline salve to make them redder, and Hortense would have added a blush of rouge if Meg had not rebelled. They laced her into a sky-blue dress, which was so tight she could hardly breathe, and so low in the neck that modest Meg blushed at herself in the mirror. A set of silver filigree was added, bracelets, necklace, and even earrings for Hortense tied them on with a bit of pink silk, which did not show. A cluster of tea rosebuds at the bosom, and a frill reconciled Meg to the display of her pretty white shoulders, and a pair of high-heeled silk boots satisfied the last wish of her heart. A lace handkerchief, a plumy fan, and a bouquet in a shoulder holder finished her off, and Miss Bell surveyed her with the satisfaction of a little girl with a newly dressed doll. Mademoiselle is charmante, très jolie, is she not? cried Hortense clasping her hands in an affected rapture. Come and show yourself, said Miss Bell, leading the way to the room where the others were waiting. As Meg went rustling after, with her long skirts trailing, her ears tinkling, her curls waving, and her heart beating, She felt as if her fun had really begun at last, for the mirror had plainly told her that she was a little beauty. 
Her friends repeated the pleasing phrase enthusiastically, and for several minutes she stood like a jackdaw in the fable, enjoying her borrowed plumes while the rest chattered like a party of magpies. While I dress, do you drill her, Nan, in the management of her skirt and those French heels, or she'll trip herself up. Take your silver butterfly and catch up that long curl on the left side of her head, Clara, and don't any of you disturb the charming work of my hands, said Belle as she hurried away, looking well pleased with her success. You don't look a bit like yourself, but you're very nice. I'm nowhere beside you, for Belle has heaps of taste, and you're quite French, I assure you. Let your flowers hang. Don't be so careful with them. And be sure you don't trip, returned Sally, trying not to care that Meg was prettier than herself. Keeping that warning... Carefully in mind, Margaret got safely downstairs and sailed into the drawing rooms where the Moffats and a few early guests were assembled. She very soon discovered that there is a charm about fine clothes which attracts a certain class of people and secures their respect. Several young ladies, who had taken no notice of her before, were very affectionate all of a sudden. Several young gentlemen, who had only stared at her at the other party, now not only stared, but asked to be introduced, and said all manner of foolish but agreeable things to her and several old ladies who sat on the sofas and criticized the rest of the party inquired who she was with an air of interest. She heard Mrs. Moffat reply to one of them, Daisy March, father a colonel in the army, one of our first families, but... Reverses of fortune, you know. Intimate friends of the Lawrences. Very sweet creature, I assure you. My Ned is quite wild about her. Dear me, said the old lady, putting up her glass for another observation of Meg, who tried to look as if she had not heard and been rather shocked at Mrs. Moffat's fibs. The queer feeling did not pass away, but she imagined herself acting the new part of fine lady, and so got on pretty well. Though the tight dress gave her a side ache, the train kept getting under her feet, and she was in constant fear lest her earrings should fly off and get lost or broken. She was flirting her fan and laughing at the feeble jokes of a young gentleman who 
who tried to be witty, when she suddenly stopped laughing and looked confused. For, just the opposite, she saw Lori. He was staring at her with undisguised surprise and disapproval also, she thought. For though he bowed and smiled, yet something in his honest eyes made her blush and wish she had her old dress on. To complete her confusion, she saw Belle nudge Annie and both glance from her to Lori, who, she was happy to see, looked unusually boyish and shy. Silly creatures, to put such thoughts into my head. I won't care for it or let it change me a bit, thought Meg, and rustled across the room to shake hands with her friend. I'm glad you came. I was afraid you wouldn't, she said, with her most grown-up air. Joe wanted me to come and tell her how you looked, so I did, answered Lori, without turning his eyes upon her, though he half smiled at her maternal tone. Well, what shall you tell her? asked Meg full of curiosity to know his opinion of her, yet feeling ill at ease with him for the first time. I shall say I didn't know you, for you look so grown up and unlike yourself. Quite afraid of you, he said, fumbling at his glove button. How absurd of you. The girls dress me up for fun, and I rather like it. Wouldn't Joe stare if she saw me, said Meg, bent on making him say whether he thought her improved or not. Yes, I think she would, returned Lori gravely. Don't you like me so? asked Meg. No, I don't, was the blunt reply. Why not? In an anxious tone. He glanced at her frizzled head, bare shoulders, and fantastically trimmed dress with an expression that abashed her more than his answer, which had not a particle of his usual politeness in it. I don't like fuss and feathers. That was altogether too much from a lad younger than herself, and Meg walked away, saying petulantly, You are the rudest boy I ever saw. Feeling very much ruffled, she went and stood at a quiet window to cool her cheeks, for the tight dress gave her an uncomfortably brilliant 
color. As she stood there, Major Lincoln passed by, and a minute after, she heard him saying to his mother, They're making a fool of that little girl. I wanted you to see her, but they've spoiled her entirely. She's nothing but a doll tonight. Oh dear, sighed Meg. I wish I'd been sensible and worn my own things. Then I should not have disgusted other people or felt so uncomfortable and ashamed of myself. She leaned her forehead on the cool pane and stood half hidden by the curtains, never minding that her favorite waltz had begun till someone touched her and turning, she saw Lori looking penitent as he said with his very best bow and his hand out. Please forgive my rudeness. Come, dance with me. I'm afraid it will be too disagreeable to you, said Meg, trying to look offended and failing entirely. Not a bit. I'm dying to do it. Come, I'll be good. I don't like your gown, but I do think you are just splendid. And he waved his hands as if words failed to express his admiration. Meg smiled and relented and whispered as they stood waiting to catch the time. Take care my skirt doesn't trip you up. It's the plague of my life and I was a goose to wear it. Pin it round your neck, then it'll be useful, said Lori looking down at the little blue boots, which he evidently approved of. Away they went, fleetly and gracefully, for having practiced at home, they were well matched, and the blithe young couple were a pleasant sight to see as they twirled Merrily round and round and round, feeling more friendly than ever after their small tiff. Lori, I want you to do me a favor, will you? said Meg as he stood fanning her when she was out of breath which it did very soon, though she would not own why. Won't I? said Lori with alacrity. Please don't tell them at home about my dress tonight. They won't understand the joke. It'll worry mother. Then why did you do it? said Lori's eyes so plainly that Meg hastily added, I'll tell them myself about it.
and fess up to mother how silly I've been, but I'd rather do it myself. So you'll not tell, will you? I give you my word I won't. Only, what shall I say when they ask me? Just say, I look pretty well and was having a good time. I'll say the first with all my heart. But how about the other? You don't look as if you're having a good time. Are you? And Lori looked at her with an expression which made her answer in a whisper. No, not just now. Don't think I'm horrid. I only wanted a little fun, but this sort doesn't pay, I find, and I'm getting tired of it. Here comes Ned Moffat. What does he want? said Laurie, knitting his black brows as if he did not regard his young host in the light of a pleasant addition to the party. He put his name down for three dances, and I suppose he's coming for them. What a bore, said Meg, assuming a languid air, which amused Laurie immensely. He did not speak to her again till supper time, when he saw her drinking champagne with Ned and his friend Fisher, who were behaving like a pair of fools, as Laurie said to himself, for he felt a brotherly sort of right to watch over the marches and fight their battles whenever a defender was needed. You'll have a splitting headache tomorrow if you drink much of that. I wouldn't, Meg. Your mother doesn't like it, you know, he whispered, leaning over her chair as Ned turned to refill her glass and Fisher stooped to pick up her fan. I'm not Meg tonight. I'm a doll who does all sorts of crazy things. Tomorrow I shall put it all away all of my fuss and feathers, and be desperately good again, she answered with an affected little laugh. Wish tomorrow was here then, muttered Laurie, walking off, ill-pleased at the change he saw in her. Meg danced and flirted, chattered and giggled as the other girls did. After supper, she undertook the German dance and blundered through it, nearly upsetting her partner with her long skirt and romping in a way that scandalized Lori, who looked on and meditated a lecture. But 
he got no chance to deliver it, for Meg kept away from him till he came to say goodnight. Remember, she said, trying to smile, for the splitting headache had already begun. Silence a la mort, replied Lori with a melodramatic flourish as he went away. This little bit of byplay excited Annie's curiosity, but Meg was too tired for gossip and went to bed feeling as if she had been to a masquerade and hadn't enjoyed herself as much as she expected. She was sick all the next day and on Saturday went home, quite used up with her fortnight's fun and feeling that she had sat in the lap of luxury long enough. It does seem pleasant to be quiet and not have company manners on all the time. Home is a nice place, though it isn't splendid, said Meg, looking about her with a restful expression. As she sat with her mother and Joe on the Sunday evening. I'm glad to hear you say so, dear, for I was afraid home would seem dull and poor to you after your fine quarters, replied her mother, who had given her many anxious looks that day. For motherly eyes are quick to see any change in children's faces. Meg had told her adventures gaily and said over and over what a charming time she had had, but something still seemed to weigh upon her spirits, and when the younger girls were gone to bed, she sat thoughtfully staring at the fire saying little and looking worried as the clock struck nine and Joe proposed bed. Meg suddenly left her chair and, taking Beth's stool, leaned her elbows on her mother's knee, saying bravely, Marmy, I want to fess. I thought so. What is it, dear? Shall I go away? Asked Joe discreetly. Of course not. Don't I always tell you everything? I was ashamed to speak of it before the younger children, but I want you to know all the dreadful things I did at the Moffats. We are prepared, said Mrs. March, 
smiling, but looking a little anxious. I told you they dressed me up, but I didn't tell you that they powdered and squeezed and frizzled and made me look like a fashion plate. Lori thought I wasn't proper. I know he did, though he didn't say so. And one man called me a doll. I knew it was silly, but they flattered me and said I was a beauty and quantities of nonsense. So I let them make a fool of me. Is that all? asked Joe as Mrs. March looked silently at the downcast face of her pretty daughter and could not find it in her heart to blame her little follies. No, I drank champagne and romped and tried to flirt and was altogether abominable, said Meg self-reproachfully. There is something more, I think. And Mrs. March smoothed the soft cheek, which suddenly grew rosy as Meg answered slowly. Yes, it's very silly, but I want to tell it because I hate to have people say and think such things about us and Lori. Then she told the various bits of gossip she had heard at the Moffats, and as she spoke, Joe saw her mother fold her lips tightly as if ill-pleased that such ideas should be put into Meg's innocent mind. Well, if that isn't the greatest rubbish I ever heard, cried Joe indignantly. Why didn't you pop out and tell them so on the spot? I couldn't. It was so embarrassing for me. I couldn't help hearing at first. And then I was so angry and ashamed, I didn't remember that I ought to go away. Just wait till I see Annie Moffat, and I'll show you how to settle such ridiculous stuff. The idea of having plans and being kind to Lori because he's rich and may marry us by and by. Won't he shout when I tell him what those silly things say about us poor children? And Joe laughed as if on second thoughts, the thing struck her as a good joke. If you tell Lori, I'll never forgive you. She mustn't, must she, mother? said Meg, looking distressed. No, never repeat that foolish gossip and forget it as soon as you can, said Mrs. March gravely. I was very unwise to let you go among people of whom I know so little, kind, I dare say, but worldly, ill-bred, 
and full of these vulgar ideas about young people. I am more sorry than I can express for the mischief this visit may have done you, Meg. Don't be sorry. I won't let it hurt me. I'll forget all the bad and remember only the good, for I did enjoy a great deal, and thank you very much for letting me go. I'll not be sentimental or dissatisfied, Mother. I know, I'm a silly little girl, and I'll stay with you till I'm fit to take care of myself. But it is nice to be praised and admired, and I can't help saying I like it, said Meg, looking half ashamed of the confession. That is perfectly natural and quite harmless if the liking does not become a passion and lead one to do foolish or unmaidenly things. Learn to know and value the praise which is worth having and to excite the admiration of excellent people by being modest as well as pretty, Meg. Margaret sat thinking a moment while Joe stood with her hands behind her, looking both interested and a little perplexed, for it was a new thing to see Meg blushing and talking about admiration, lovers, and things of that sort. And Joe felt as if during that fortnight her sister had grown up amazingly and was drifting away from her into a world where she could not follow. Mother, do you have plans, as Mrs. Moffat said? Asked Meg bashfully. Yes, my dear, I have a great many. All mothers do, but mine differ somewhat from Mrs. Moffat's, I suspect. I will tell you some of them, for the time has come when a word may set this romantic little head and heart of yours right on a very serious subject. You are young, Meg, but not too young to understand me, and mother's lips are the fittest to speak of such things to girls like you. Joe, your turn will come in time, perhaps, so listen to my plans and help me carry them out if they are good. Joe went and sat on one arm of the chair, looking as if she thought they were about to join in some very solemn affair. Holding a hand of each, and watching the two young faces wistfully, Mrs. March said, in her serious but cheery way, I want my daughters to be beautiful, accomplished, and good, to be admired, loved, and respected, to have a happy youth, to be well and wisely married, 
and to lead useful, pleasant lives with as little care and sorrow to try them as God sees fit to send. To be loved and chosen by a good man is the best and sweetest thing which can happen to a woman, and I sincerely hope my girls may know this beautiful experience. It's natural to think of it, Meg. Right to hope and wait for it, and wise to prepare for it, so that when the happy time comes, you may feel ready for the duties and worthy of the joy. My dear girls, I am ambitious for you, but not to have you make a dash in the world, marry rich men merely because they are rich, or have splendid houses which are not homes because love is wanting. Money is a needful and precious thing, and when well used, a noble thing but I never want you to think it is the first or only prize to strive for. I'd rather see you poor men's wives if you were happy, beloved, and contented than queens on thrones without self-respect and peace. Poor girls don't stand any chance, Belle says, unless they put themselves forward sighed Meg. Then we'll be old maids, said Joe stoutly. Right, Joe. Better be happy old maids than unhappy wives, or unmaidenly girls running about to find husbands, said Mrs. March decidedly. Don't be troubled, Meg. Poverty seldom daunts a sincere lover. Some of the best and most honored women I know were poor girls, but so love-worthy that they were not allowed to be old maids. Leave these things to time. Make this home happy, so that you may be fit for homes of your own, if they are offered you, and contented here, if they are not. One thing remember, my girls. Mother is always ready to be your confidant. Father, to be your friend. And both of us hope and trust that our daughters, whether married or single, will be the pride and comfort of our lives. We will, Marmy, we will, cried both with all their hearts as she bade them good night.